Hello, welcome back to another episode of Crowdwork Cast. My name is Andrew Barnett. Thank you very much for joining me. Um, if you're enjoying the podcast at the moment, uh, if you could do me a favour and uh, feel free, I should say, to uh, to go into iTunes or wherever you get it from, and if they've got a rate and review section like iTunes do, um, if you would uh, if you'd go in there and give it a give it a review or a rating, uh, I'd appreciate that. Uh, I'm not really sure what it does, um, but I've heard everyone else on their podcast ask people to do it, so I thought, why am I any different? Now, this week's episode, this week's guest is a gentleman by the name of Barnaby Howarth, and um, as you're about to hear, Barnaby has a pretty um, a pretty amazing backstory. Um, he's uh, he's a guy who's done some impressive things and, and, and diversity in his life. And uh, I'm not going to preempt it too much here because we get right into it in the uh, in the conversation you're about to hear. But um, he's a guy I met about three years ago when uh, when I was asked to host his uh, his charity comedy night called Give It a Crack that he does every year at the Sydney Comedy Store. And um, yeah, and I've sort of we've stayed in touch since. Um, he's a genuinely good guy, uh, a guy I, I really uh, like uh, chatting to. And um, I really enjoyed this conversation and uh, we are doing the Give It A Crack again this year. He's organised it all. I'm going to be there hosting. It's going to be a crazy night. Uh, it's going to be really good. November 16 at the Sydney Comedy Store. So uh, I think we plug all the details many times throughout the conversation you're about to hear. So um, yeah, if you want to uh, if you want to get um, get tickets to that, I'll, uh, I'll put a link to Barnaby's site on, the, uh, on my website uh, for this episode as well. So yeah. Um, yeah, really, probably not much more to say. Just get get into this episode. Here it is. This is episode nine with Barnaby Howarth. All right, welcome back to another episode. Hello, mate. What's your name? My name is Barnaby Howarth. Barnaby Howarth. Have you got a middle name, Barnaby? I do, and it's Roderick. Roderick. My grandfather's name. Roderick. Barnaby Roderick. Is, is there another middle name? No. Barnaby Roderick or B-Rod. B-Rod. For short. Nice. I like that. I like that. You sound like a man who had a few nicknames in your time. No, I just had friends who liked baseball, and they saw A-Rod and thought, right, we're going to steal his. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's nice. So um, uh, what do you do? I am a keynote speaker. Um, in my part time, in my spare time, but I work full time at the ABC for News Twenty Four as an auto queue operator. An auto queue operator at News Twenty Four. Oh wow, that's so you you uh, you pretty much get the news before everyone else then in that uh, line of work. Oh, like three seconds before everyone else. Yeah, still your first two. <laughs> but yes, I am technically. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So how long have you been doing that? I've uh, been at ABC for about five, six years. Nice. Yeah. So it's in, in an Ultimo there? In an Ultimo. And the keynote speaking came off the back of it. Um, I was sitting doing auto queue, which isn't a hugely responsible or difficult job to do. Yeah, um, don't tell them that at the ABC, mate. I won't. No <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. Um, yeah. But I needed another source of income. Yep. So I, my original aim when I started at the ABC was to climb the ladder and be a journalist. But I started thinking about doing some keynote speaking and I came up with this message that sounded quite appealing to me Yep. Uh, and then got my teeth into it and 
started looking into setting it up and it worked out really well. So that's sort of been the focus rather than trying to climb the ladder. Yeah. So you, um, now you're wearing your, uh, Swans, uh, Swans shirt now, uh, obviously a passionate AFL man. You got a bit of a background though in AFL, don't you? I do. What a loser wearing a Swan <laughs> shirt. I, no, I no, no, I like it. <laughs> I played a season for them in 98. 1998. Um, yep. And this is, this is part of my keynote speaking. I saw a lot of like motivational speakers in my time as a footballer Yep. who used to say, you know, train harder, work harder and you can win and you can be the best. But I always used to sit there and think, well, what if you don't want to be the best? What if you just want to try your best and be happy with where you end up? Um, So anyway, I played that season at the Swans. Um, Only played one year because it turns out I just wasn't a good enough footballer. I did have, I did have regrets about maybe not trying hard enough. So I moved to Melbourne for two years to, you know, really work as hard as I could and see if I was good enough. So I did that. I went down there for two years, didn't drink too much, ate right, did the extra training. Turns out it just wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, to be honest, um, at that level though, like for a, for someone who um, for someone like me who played a bit of uh, second grade uh, hockey in Sydney, um, f- for that level, for a guy who played a season at the Sw- who was a season at the Swans, um, yeah, you know what? Turns out you were that good. Uh, <laughs> just turns out that it's super competitive at that level. Like just to get to that level is a is a massive achievement. Well, I've got a different point of view on it now. Like when I was playing footy. Yeah. I didn't want to be a team member. I wanted to be the captain. I want to be the best. I want to win the Brownlow medal. So that's what I wasn't good enough for. But now I look back and go, can I swear on the show? Yeah, swear all you want. When I look back on it and go, oh, shit, I played at the Swan. He's pretty good. I played in the Victorian Football League. Yeah. So now I look back and think, wow, I was okay. Yeah. Like I wasn't the best in the world. I wasn't Adam Goods, but but you were a I professional sportsman. Yeah. yeah which is th- that- paid to play footy. Yeah, that's that. Just if you, I'm sure if you pulled um, pulled you aside like as a kid and said, you know what, one one day when you just run around in the backyard, one day someone's going to pay you to do this, and just left it at that. But I, I, that that would be an amazing thought. I'm I pinch myself looking back on it. Like Tony Lockett, plugger, was playing when I was there. Paul oh, Kelly wow. was captain. Paul Ruse was playing. And you know we used to we used to chat and just I used a to, bunch of nobodies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh wow! I used to run past Tony Lockett during drills and go, "Yeah, plugger, plugger, ask me for a handball." And then I yeah. get to the end of the end of the line and go, "Holy shit! I just asked plugger for a handball. That's awesome." Yeah, that is awesome, <laughs> isn't it? That's and so that must have been. So you you grew up in Sydney. Yeah, I grew up in Sydney. My dad played Aussie Rules when he was in Adelaide, um, and that's and he was pretty keen on it. So when we were when my brothers and I were young, he got us into it and we just loved it and put up with the gay FL and aerial ping pong jibes at school <laughs> and kept on going. Yeah, it was a bit different back then. Like I think Sydney um, now is much, much more accepting of uh, of the AFL and yeah. you know people are into it much more um, than probably they used to be. See, I grew up on the on the Victorian border, um, sort of. In a different, uh, it, it's almost the flip perspective where we were, um, we moved there. I started school down there. And uh, when you, you're down that way, it's basically like, you know, AFL is everything. Mm. And rugby league and r- a rugby union in particular. My old man was a rugby union man. There was nothing. 
Yeah. And so, yeah, we were the, we were the sort of the uh, the weird outsiders, you know, in Victorian territory. So you, they, it's nice to know there was another side of the coin in Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, it's awesome nowadays. I went to the Swans-Giants game last weekend and it's the first time I've ever felt a September finals buzz in Sydney at an AFL game. Yeah. It was epic. Like everyone was there and excited and you know, springing their step. And, I mean, I, I was hoping the Swans would win, but that wasn't the the take-home I got out of it. Like, it was just a really fun, enjoyable place to be. Now, as we record this, now, this is where this will be up tomorrow. So, this will be right. up on the, what's this, the, that'll be up on the 20th. Um, so, we're, we're staring down the barrel of uh, a weekend where we have the Sydney Swans and GWS both in uh, separate elimination finals and the tantalising prospect of an all-Sydney grand final. How's that make you feel? I'm tingly just thinking about it. Yeah, that's going to be. Yeah. Now, I now I know there'll be people. Now, and this is I was talking about this with a mate yesterday. There'll be people out there who say, "Well, if it's two Sydney teams, why can't we have the grand final in Sydney?" Uh, my thought with that is, no, 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 no. Let's have it in Melbourne and make all those Melbourne people go along and see that there's two Sydney teams better than all their teams. Well, the see the thing with AFL grand finals is the MCG is. Mecca, like it's the it place is. to be. So if you told the two Sydney teams, okay, we're going to play the grand final in Sydney, they'd be spewing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing too is that they've all grown up wanting to play a grand final on the MCG. Yeah. I just like the idea of people from Melbourne having to go along <laughs> and pick Rubbed either. Nose in it. Yeah, pick either of a Sydney <laughs> team to barrack for. <laughs> yeah, but see, the Melbourne people, if the Swans make the grand final. They won't be the Sydney Swans. They'll be the South Melbourne Swans. Ah, uh, good eyes. point. Yeah, yeah, good point. So there's there's obvi- there's an obvious favourite then out of the two. Yeah, of them. Uh, that's uh, yeah, that is good. But um, hey, now just on that, well, I've got your uh, well, I've got a man with a, a great AFL brain, obviously drawing all your experience. If we do end up with uh, first off, how do you rate the chances of both GWS and Sydney getting through? I think. GWS are probably more firm favourites. I think the Swans play better when they're not being talked up like they were before the Giants game. Yep. I think they do better facing a challenge. Yeah. Ge- Geelong in a prelim is about the biggest challenge you'll get. They're, I think Geelong is sensational. So I think Giants are probably more favoured to win. You think Giants over the Dogs? Yeah. Yeah. And I think because the Swans aren't favoured to beat Geelong, the Swans will probably win that one as well. Oh, that'd be nice. All Sydney see, Grand Final. It? Now, All Sydney Grand Final, MCG, how do you see that shaping out? I think it's going to be spectacular. <laughs> if, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. We've got Friday night and whenever the Giants are playing yeah. to get to go through first. But it's a Friday and Saturday a night. Sydney Grand Final would just be, I think it would just turn so many noses in Melbourne and people in Sydney. It's it's already on the, on the radar, AFL in Sydney. But having two Sydney teams in a grand final would just have everybody's eyeballs on that game. Yeah, especially too. I think GWS um, in in the area, the in the parts of Sydney that they that are their drawing area. Um, this will be something. Just just the fact that they've got this far um, yeah. is something really that probably um, we're not even seeing quite the effects of what it what it will mean for for AFL in Sydney yet. Yeah. I don't think because that's um. I, I see the uh, I, I see that like I was talking to a mate and um, his kids were playing Auskick and they're they're from around you know the the sort of sort of Greater Western Sydney drawing area and mm-hmm. his kids were automatically 
uh, this is a few years ago, they were all given sort of uh, player memberships, uh, little memberships and stuff for the yeah. GWS. So they're, they're working hard to get that grassroots stuff and there's nothing that will get kids' attention more than a bit of success. And I think, because he was telling me, you know, when they did the Oz kick, you know, the kids were a bit hot and cold. Like they didn't, weren't super worried about having the membership because, um, you know, GWS weren't a, weren't a, a dominant team. But this year they've started to take a real interest mm. because of GWS doing so well. So No, they've done really well in their investment in grassroots when they started. Mm. I mean, people used to complain they weren't, they were getting a stack of money from the AFL, but they didn't use it to buy legitimate superstar players and win a grand final after two years. Yeah. They went and bought the best young players and got the best facilities and gave those membership packs out to kids. So now that those young kids they invested in have come good, they're looking like a genuine quality AFL side. Yeah, there's there's more than just this year uh, mm. in in the club. Like they yeah. look like a they'll be around for a while, like around yeah. that four in this um the top eight at least yeah. um, for a few years to come because they got they like you said they got a few really good young blokes yeah anyway this turned into an AFL podcast pretty <laughs> yeah. quick didn't it um, so so you AFL career you're going well um, you you move back from Melbourne what's what's next in the the Barnaby Howarth story well I moved back from Melbourne ticking the box that I just wasn't as good a footballer as I needed to be to win a brown eye medal yep. So, geez, that's a you're in a big club there, though, Barnaby. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people. <laughs> um, so I, I came back really proud that I'd given it a, the best crack I could and not made it to where I wanted to get to. Yeah. So I sort of put that chapter to bed. Started playing at Pennant Hills, my local club. Who I, I mean, I I love playing at Penno, so that wasn't like I was now, taking a backward step. The Pennant Hills Demons. Pennant Hills Demons, the Mighty D's. Give them a shout out. How's their season been this year? Uh, not as good as last year. They won the flag last year. I was going to say, I bumped into you at the Feel and Medal last year. That's right. That's all Yeah, right. and uh, that was the thing that the Ds were, I think they were facing down a grand final weekend. Yeah, yeah, they, they'd lost the two previous to that, but they lost in the first round of the finals this year and were a bit, a bit flat on Monday night. Oh, that's no good. Well, you know... There's always next season. That's right. Pre-season starts early, boys. Get at it. Exactly right. All right. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I came back and played a couple of years at Penno, um, which was awesome. I, I loved being a part of that footy club. And then they actually play a part in my story later on as well. Um, and then in 2005, we had a, a buy at Pennant Hills because there was a representative game on. So I went out for a jog in North Sydney with a couple of mates and we, when we got showered and changed, we went out to a pub and on the way home, one of my mates started a fight and was kicking a guy while he was on the ground. So I ran over and grabbed him and said, nah, come on, let's go. You're being a peanut. Yeah. But the kids' mates who, who'd been standing around must have rung their mates and we got chased down the street by about 20 blokes and me and another guy stayed behind and tried to talk them down. And both of us got king hit and then kicked in the head while we were down. Yeah. Which ended up with me having a stroke the week later. So the, the so you, you basically you go go from there from the, the assault. Um you go to hospital or you go home or No, no, I I'd I was out for a couple of minutes after the fight. Oh wow. And then I thought, wow, that was lucky. I'd you know, missed being, you know, knifed or glassed or something yeah. dire. 
So I thought I'd dodge a bullet. Played that game of footy in for the rep game that weekend. Went back to work on the Monday. But then went to training with Penno on Thursday. And I got a knock during training which dislodged a clot. Oh, that had been wow. floating around my body. And it floated up into my, an artery in my brain stem. Which interrupted the blood flow. Caused the stroke. And <clears throat> that's when things got really dramatic. My parents were told they might have to turn off my life support. My family and friends were told to come and say goodbye. So I, I was unconscious for four days, so I didn't know how dramatic it had got, but I um, <laughs> I probably could have done with knowing how dire things were because when I woke up, I saw that I was in a hospital bed. My little brother had flown all the way back from Scotland. Friends and family had come from in a state. So oh, I wow. kind of knew something was up. Yeah. But someone explained to me that I had a stroke on the Thursday I was unconscious all weekend and it was now Monday. My first thought was, bugger, I missed a game of footy on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's, uh, yeah, it probably shows the, the, uh, the value on which you placed a footy on that at that, uh, <laughs> that stage. Well, Penno were undefeated halfway through the year and I was captain. So that was, <laughs> that was yeah. the first thing you on my your, mind. You had your Ida Ward <laughs> September. <laughs> That's right. Oh, wow. And so, so four days unconscious. Do you... Now, people talk about, like, so is that a, a coma? What we popularly know as a coma? Yeah, it was... I shouldn't in- say popularly. Uh, <laughs> it's not a popular thing, but, you know, what's commonly known as a coma. Yeah, it was It was a coma which I've since been told by doctors that I was probably, pardon the French again, but I was probably a bee's dick away from, from not coming out of. Um, and wow. the doctor said it's probably the fact that you were fit because of your footballing yeah. that you survived. Wow. So it was... Pretty hairy, but I mean, for me, I I had no choice in it. I just lay there and I didn't fight hard and dig deep and all that stuff. I just was asleep one second, was awake the next. So yeah, that's that's always the interesting thing that you know when people talk about oh they can hear you, you know in comas and that they can hear, you. and I, I wonder sometimes about that much. But for you, obviously, it was just it just felt like a like a I'm I'm awake now. I'm awake somewhere completely different. Absolutely, I don't remember a thing about being unconscious. Oh wow! So I was just I was I was awake. I was awake. I was awake. I was asleep. So obviously, there's a fair bit of um, rehab, I suppose, like you to to uh, from that. Um, so what's the next? Like, how long were you in hospital? What's the next little bit of life look like? I I'm still doing rehab now. This was 2005. It's now 2016. Wow, so 11 years later. So I still do bits now. Um, but straight after the stroke, it was about a six-month really intensive rehab schedule. Yep. So, <clears throat> excuse me, going into hospitals and as an outpatient and like every day doing exercise to try and recover. I suppose that's where to... Um and you know these are the they find the silver linings afterwards. The the fact that you were a dedicated footballer, so you you're used to training. You've got that training discipline. Probably um, for your rehab, uh, you know that's probably a, an advantage at least going into that, as compared to someone who who doesn't have that sort of training discipline in their life. That they've got to learn that as well as the rehab. Yeah, well, so, a lot of a lot of people used to look at me sympathetically when I said I had a stroke, and they I was twenty five. They'd look and say, but you're too young. But being 25 and an active footballer meant that I had the drive I needed in my mm. rehab. Like I hadn't, I hadn't bought a house. I wasn't married. I 
hadn't done a lot of things in my life. So I had that drive to be as good as I could be for those things when they came up. Yeah, you still had a lot to tick off. So, yeah, so that plus being semi-fit in football plus having that training mentality probably all worked to my advantage. Yeah. You probably weren't used to, and you know, I might be completely off there, you probably weren't used to having people be sort of sympathetic towards you at that age too. 25, you're a talented sportsman. Like you've probably, that's, they're not, that's not the most, uh, the most, that's not a genuine character, a character people genuinely, generally look at and go, oh, I feel sorry for that bloke. Look at him over there with his captaining his football team and his fitness and that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, so it wasn't, wasn't that, so much sympathy for, for the person you were now. It was more sympathy for the person you could have been. Yeah. Like, oh, look at this guy. He's too young. He hasn't done so many things and now he's had a stroke. Oh, poor thing. So, so it was how, more of that. How did you feel? Like how obviously your reaction to that was probably a little bit of uh, similar to the uh, the way you approached your football um, when you when you went, am I good enough? It was like, well, maybe I'm going to dig in and is it, am I putting thoughts in your mouth? Did you? Was that a thing where you just went, I'm going to show people that I can still stuff because you've done quite a bit since then haven't you yeah but how i've done i never had that one moment of looking in the mirror and going come on you can do this i just thought right well you know there's there's things there's things every day and did them as well as i could and ended up where i got to like i never had that moment of you know dig deep aim for the stars all that sort of stuff all the high high um level adventure stuff yeah so that's um, with 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 that. This is what I like about a lot of your uh, the way um, you sort of approach things and the way you talk about your experiences, is the the very fact that you don't really um, it's you don't make it like a movie script, like you know mm-hmm. in the if we were to make the movie of that, it'd be that one moment where you um you know oh this is where he has the realization. Then there'd be a montage of you doing like road running, that sort of probably, um, you know, getting your strength back by lifting carcasses of meat or something. I'm thinking Rocky at this point. Um, you know, but what I, what I enjoy about the way you approach things is your story is much more how it really is. Like it's not one, one decision battle all done. This is, it's, yeah, it's much more, um, much more realistic in that these things take a long time. That was my biggest fear when I, when I got a handle on what <clears throat> on what lay ahead of me after the stroke was I saw conquering adversity as something huge and challenging and a you know, three-headed beast sort of thing. And I thought, I don't know if I have it in me to, to beat this. Like I'm not Nelson Mandela or Jason McCartney or Anna Mears. I'm, I was playing at Penno when I was a uni student. Like what have I got that makes me eligible to overcome adversity? So I just thought, well... I'll just break it down to smaller things and rather than see it as a huge, overwhelming, defeat adversity thing, wake up in the morning and say, right, I want to play footy in a couple of months' time, so I need to work on my coordination. So I I got a bowl of um, paper clips, which I transferred from a cup to a bowl in my left hand, which is boring as piss. Like it just was really frustratingly tiresome and boring. But I knew where I wanted to get to, but I knew I couldn't control whether I got there or not in one move. I yeah. do a lot of little things to build up to it. 
So it's back down to like um, I love the I'm loving this story because of all the I'm a you might uh, not know this about me. I'm a bit of a sports tragic. I, I love all my sports, but I love the way it. I like, and I don't know if you think about this in your um the way you think about your story, but I love the way that skills that that's basically that's going back to if you were had the kids at Auskick, breaking the skills down to that the the repetitive task, and and um breaking the skills down to their most basic element, which is how you learn stuff. It's, I love that, the, okay, then you just lock back into that. You've done this before. You've had to learn skills and uh, you lock back into it. Now it's just, it's it's a, it's a challenge. It's more challenging than it's probably ever been, but it's nothing you haven't... Same sort of concept though. Yeah, yeah. and it's nothing you haven't sort of... There's no reason you shouldn't be able to do it if you apply yourself and at least see. Yeah. Well, probably the best example of that was in my 100th game at Pennant Hills, um, I took a mark. I was lining up for goal. It was the first first uh, kick for goal, well, first goal of the day turned out to be. But I, I'm a left footer, but I couldn't kick on my left foot because I've got a cerebral tremor in my left hand. So I can't drop the ball straight. So I had to drop it on my right foot. And at training the Thursday before, I had about 30 shots for goal and didn't get one. So I've taken the mark and everyone's going, yeah. Oh, this could go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but I always remember my, an old coach used to say, focus on the game plan. The result will take care of itself. So basically, you know, concentrate on the here and now. And if it goes straight, it goes straight. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And I thought, well, I've, I know how to kick a football. I know you've got to drop it straight on your foot, swing your leg straight, straight through the goals. So I did all that and I was really concentrating on the process rather than the result and went through first goal of the day and it's one of the proudest things I look back on in my life. That's fantastic. That is, um, yeah, that's, and that, that sort of thinking, I suppose, that you, that's, a, that's a great bit of wisdom you've picked up from a coach because that, that sort of thinking can be applied to so many different things in life. Like, if you, like you said, if you, look at, if you had a looked, when you looked and went, how do I get from um, you know, where you are lying in, lying in a hospital bed to, to back on the footy field, it does. It seems like an insurmountable task, but when you break it down into all its elements, and you just go, okay, this is. You break it down to those elements, and you just concentrate on them. Eventually, the result comes. So you got back to how long did it take before you were back on the field? That's which is a uh, remarkable. That was twenty twelve, I think. So seven years. Seven years of just hard work, rehab. Yeah, and I remember that the day that I said I wanted to come back to playing footy. I. I was in hospital and my family took me down to a Penno versus Balmain game at Dremoyne Oval and I was sitting in my wheelchair and one of the Penno guys came over, Rooster, and he said, so are you going to play again? I said, yeah, well, I'm going to try. And that was a day that I thought, oh, maybe I'll give footy a crack again. That's fantastic. That's, um, yeah, and that's what I like too with... with um with sports, like sports people, the, the fact that Roos had come up and just ask you that, like, you know, a lot of people probably around you would, you know, would sometimes, you know, when you see someone who was, um, uh, you know, able-bodied and they're, now they're in, they're in a circumstance, they're in a wheelchair, you just like, oh, a lot of people get awkward around it, but those sort of mates that you've, that you build through um, through whatever, but those sort of good mates who are just willing to come up, they, they throw all the awkwardness aside and just throw you the hard question. Yeah. And you, you probably he probably didn't even realise how hard a question it was. I don't know, but uh, yeah. that's fantastic. 
that uh and so so that seven years of work so what what else went on in that time like obviously you know there's life outside of footy um so when did you when did you first in that time were you obviously going through uni you finished your journalism degree i was studying journalism then when i had the stroke i was one subject away so one of the first things i did when i got back on my feet was go back to that one subject yep so i undeferred went back got a pass mark graduated with a journalism diploma and then started applying for work at every different network i could so actually sent an email to the guy from channel seven saying i i really hope channel nine would consider me he wrote back and said, well, good luck with that. I hope they do too because <laughs> this is Channel 7. <laughs> so anyway, so I applied to a heap of different people and got um, an interview at the ABC because the guy I'd applied to was a massive Swans fan. Oh, so wow. he heard my story. He's like, right, I'll, I'll give you a chance. That's so yeah, fantastic. went in there and did the current affairs quiz, which pass mark was 70%. He told me I got 40%. Oh, really? So I couldn't be a journalist. He said, but we've got auto queue job work. Do you want that? I said, yeah, that'd be awesome. So there was that. Um, I There was work, journal, uh, uni, and I, I wrote a book. Yep. I started writing my autobiography because I'm diabetic as well. Yep. So I started writing a book about playing for the swans, being diabetic, and you know, kids don't have to give up on their dreams just because they've been diagnosed with diabetes. And I was one chapter away from finishing that when I had the stroke. So when I got back on my feet, I thought, well, I don't want to not have this book written if anything else happens. So I finished that. It's this book about diabetes, all about diabetes and overcoming the challenges. Then the last chapter says, oh, by the way, I had a stroke, almost died. Goodbye. <laughs> wow. What a, uh, what a great uh, way to tease a sequel for your book. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> That's um yeah, so you you obviously so when did you when did you what sorry, but I know you mentioned it earlier in the podcast. Uh, the timeline of um when you were sitting there, auto queue operator and you looked around and went, you know what, I might tr- give this motivational speaking a go. I'd probably been at the ABC for a couple of years. Um and I can't remember what it was, but there was a decision I had to make as to whether I'd like I just didn't have the money to afford a certain thing. I thought I can, this could be my life. Like I could either make some sacrifices on the lifestyle I wanted to lead or I could try and find another way to earn an income. So I had no business experience. I actually toyed with the idea of starting a, an adventure travel company for people with impaired ability. Um, oh, wow. But I didn't know how to run a business. So I went to uni, started a business diploma. Um, which I dropped out after one semester when I realised that the market I was trying to sell to didn't exist. So <laughs> <laughs> they probably should have uh, kept that lesson a little bit later in the uh, in the diploma. They would have got more money out of you. Yeah, their business model is yeah. no good. Um, so, so you have done adventure travel. That was that's been something you've done quite a bit of. You've climbed Kilimanjaro. Kilimanjaro. When okay, when does that fit in the timeline, and what what were you thinking, Barnaby? Um, like, who wants like I I don't know like that's how what makes you just go you know what that that second highest mountain in the world I'll give that a crack. Well, Kilimanjaro, he, I went and heard a guy give a talk about yeah. trying to climb it, 
just a few months after he had a tumour removed that had been wrapped around his spine. Oh, wow. I thought, if this guy can do it, what's stopping me from at least giving it a crack? And my sister had always wanted to do it. And I told a mate of mine from Pennant Hills that I was looking at doing it. And, and he said, oh, yeah, I'll do it with you. So, so had, you, we had yet yeah, any mountain climbing experience or anything like that before? Zero. Zero. But Kilimanjaro is probably the best mountain for people like that because there's no technical climbing. It's just walking up a steep hill. So the last... <laughs> I, I, that, that might be oversimplifying <laughs> it a little. <laughs> just walking up a steep hill. You know, the second biggest hill in the world. 6,000 metres high, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just a, a hill. hill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like the way you break things down into their simplest <laughs> form, mate. That's fantastic. So wh- what year was that? That was 2011, I think. 2011? Yeah. So knocked off K2 in 2011. Um. Then you've done the Kokoda track. Kokoda track was last year. Um, that that was funny. That came about because a mate of mine, mate of mine that I played footy with in Melbourne, said to me, "Do you want to walk Kokoda together?" I was like, "Oh, mate, that'd be actually not." And I said, "I have to check it out for safety first. Um, and then I came back and looked online, and there were pictures of Kurt Fernley doing it. Without using his legs. Oh, my God. I thought, I can't say no to this on safety if he's done that. Yeah. So I said, yeah, mate. He ruined that safety excuse for everyone. <laughs> exactly. So I said, yeah, mate, I'm in. And then started putting the word out to get more people on. My Another Penno mate came along and helped film a documentary. My sister-in-law committed. My older brother just turned up and surprised me in Port Moresby. Oh, wow. And the original mate who'd asked me in the first place, he pulled out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, that's um. So you, yeah, you've you've achieved a lot. Now I met you. Well, when this was that the first give it a crack? Uh, yes. Yeah, so that was yeah, twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen. Um, at uh, now this is a, a charity comedy night you put together every year. Mm-hmm. Um, first off. Great, uh, I've enjoyed, loved being part of it. Um, but um, how did that come about? What was the, what was the thinking behind that? And and uh, you know how did how did you f- decide that, that was uh, something you wanted to do? Well, this came up. It was kind of selfish. I needed to get more exposure for my speaking. I needed a stage to to speak at. Yep. So the first give it a crack was at Thornley Community Centre, and it was a night where anybody who wanted to do anything got a stage and a microphone to do it. So I had a friend doing slam poetry, another friend launched her children's book, another, another oh, few nice. mates played in a band, and one of my good friends emceed it. And most of them were, like their legs were shaking and they were nervous <laughs> as hell. The slam poetry girl came up to me five minutes before she was due to go on. She said, I can't do it. I said, it's just, it's not about being good, like just get up there and literally give it a crack. She said, hang on one second got a full glass of wine, necked it. She goes, okay, <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> so that the concept came about back then to, to selfishly help me get some exposure. But it just grew from there. And then I met a girl from the comedy store who said, you can do a charity event there. So I did it then. You got involved. Uh, it was all to raise money for the Penadol's Footy Club initially. But this year... Um, my wife and I started planning it last year for Chris O'Brien Cancer Treatment Centre. 
Yep. So we're raising money for them this year and the, the stakes are a lot higher. The players are bigger. Um, you'll be as good as you were last year, but... Oh, I'm hoping I've improved a little. <laughs> I'll give it a crack, though. <laughs> That's all you need. Yeah. So, because I, I remember I remember the first one. Um, yeah, and the, the, so the format basically um, that you, you have is uh, you have a host, an MC, and then um, most of the comedians are uh, newer comedians who are up there giving it a crack. A lot of them drawn from um, uh, the uh, raw comedy, um, mm-hmm. which is uh, the a massive uh, sort of competition for... Uh, for new comedians that, that that's run so, um, and it is run through the comedy store. You we're doing that again this year. What do you want to first off? Let's plug the date, and then we'll go back and have a chat about um, how it developed, and uh, you know, and uh, y- you and your wife. Um, I think uh, both comedy fans. Yeah, well, that's 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 how that's how we uh, you and I met because we yeah. went and saw you just host a, a regular comedy night. And I said to the girl that was organising, give it a crack at the comedy store. I said, that's the guy I want to host oh, my you. night. <laughs> yeah, I must have, must have had an all right night that night. <laughs> yeah, you're on fire. Yeah. That's, uh, and then, um, so this, this year, it's the 16th of November. November 16, Wednesday night at the comedy store, 8 o'clock. Um, tickets are on sale through, can I plug? Yeah, yeah, plug away, man. Through barnabyhoworth.com.au on the events page. Um, tickets need to be bought online and they're going reasonably quick, so jump it's on in if you're keen to have a look. It looks like it's going to be a good night this year. So so you've decided... you you uh, Now we talk about your wife. When did you guys meet? When in the timeline did you did you meet your... In the uh, timeline, we met in August 2013. August 2013? Yeah. How? How? A uh, mutual friend of ours set us up. Nice. So Andrew had worked with this girl for ages and was really good friends. I'd met this girl and her husband once, six months previous. They were going to buy a house near where I was living. So I said, oh, I'll take you around, show you the traps. So we exchanged phone numbers, never heard from her. Then she rings mysteriously six months later out of the blue, saying I want to set you up with someone. And I thought, I've seen horror movies that start like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh... Oh wow! And but I thought, yeah, well. I'll go and give it a crack. I'll go and meet this girl, and then so we, our timeline. We met in August, twenty thirteen. Then Angela, my wife, was diagnosed with terminal breast cancer in July twenty fourteen. We're engaged in August. I was baptized in her church in September, and then we're married in November. Oh wow! And we were on 19 legs of our honeymoon because after she was diagnosed, we went to our favourite coffee shop and she said, I just want to travel. So we went all over the place, went to North America, Canada, Thailand, New Zealand, Warrnambool, Echuca. <laughs> I remember I get, um, I get your regular, uh, regular blog updates and stuff on the, on the email and I remember uh, through that period seeing all the wonderful places you guys were. That, was, uh, that must have been quite an adventure. In and of itself. It was awesome. It was exactly that focus on the game plan, let the result take care of itself thing. Yep. Like we didn't we didn't think, right, let's let's aim for a fairy tale. We just thought, right, today let's go and buy a bottle of milk and really enjoy it. Let's go and lie on the beach and really love it. So we used to do that <clears throat> excuse me, every day we'd go and do things we really enjoyed. 
and those small enjoyments added up to a fairy tale at the end of the day. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's, I love that approach to life. That's that's brilliant. So um, so I remember I met Ange. Uh, I met Ange at Give It a Crack. Mm-hmm. Um, and last year's Give It a Crack. Um, she was obviously not not as well as had been previous. Um, and um, and this year we we had some some tragic news. Yeah, um, she um, we got back from leg nineteen of our honeymoon on a Sunday. And then on the Monday, she moved into a hospice and it was a really slippery slope from then, which was kind of nice. I mean, there was not a lot of suffering. Mm. Um, but, yeah, we lost her in at the end of July. Some, yeah, I was thinking about it before when, before today when I was thinking about that. Obviously, we were, um, we'd planned to do this podcast and I was thinking about how just reflecting on everything I knew about your story just – in the time I'd known you, you are probably the most sort of positive guy I think I've ever met in terms of you've obviously dealt with a lot of adversity, a lot of lot of stuff. How, like, do you ever just stop? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking of my, and this, the only way I can do it, it's a selfish way of looking at things, but like in, in that situation myself, like I'd just be, I don't know how I'd get up. Um, obviously you're a strong character. You've been through a lot anyway. Is, was there any point where you just felt like, you just like look at the universe or, you know, God or whatever and just go, what is going on? Not once. I, um, I don't look at things in the huge, what does this mean for my life point of view? I just think, well, this, you know, if something's not good, then it sucks, but you got to you know, move on and keep, living your own life, if something's awesome, you really appreciate it and go and try and find the next awesome thing. Um, so, no, I never got to the point where I looked at myself in the mirror and, uh, and screamed, why me? Which kind of makes being uh, positive easier. Yeah. Because if you don't get so down, you don't have to drag yourself up by the bootlaces. Yeah, that's um, – because and I'm just thinking now, I've never heard you um, – talk about anything to do with Angie other than just being like you I don't know if grateful's the the right word but you seem to be so grateful that you had her in your life um and yeah I just that that that's obviously reflective of the way you look at things you sort of yeah. more well Angela also, and I were very much the Vegemite to each other's toast we well I like to think I gave her what she needed and she definitely gave me what I needed so it, it sucks that we only had a, a short time together and she passed away way too early. But I'd rather have a short, intense period of love in a like a two-and-a-half-year marriage rather than a 60-year marriage that you're just like, eh, it's all right. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I couldn't be happier, mate. Yeah, I've got to say, there's, if there's anyone who knows how to ring the best out of every little moment and obviously that's a, something that you've um you know you've learned over your time that's that's fantastic so that's obviously is that how um the this year now you mentioned that previously um you've been raising money for the Pennant Hills Footy Club um but this year Chris O'Brien Lifehouse are on board and that's what we're raising money for is that mm-hmm. in the is this the is this the catalyst for for that with the your experience yours and Angela's experience um, through her treatment? It's actually 
directly related to Angela's time there. She spent a couple of weeks with Chris O'Brien. Okay. And was really well looked after. Like we at Chris O'Brien aims to make itself not feel like a hospital. Mm. Um, and we got that experience. Like she was just well looked after, like it was in a hotel room and plus with awesome medical care. So Angela and I were both talking about the next give it a crack while she was at Chris O'Brien. And Chris O'Brien used to run a cycle charity event. Yep. Which we, but Angela and I rode in last year, but they've canned because they had a a falling out with the event organizer. Oh, wow. So we thought well, there's a gap in Chris O'Brien's fundraising. We need to up the stakes and give it a crack. So it was just a sort of natural fit. Yeah. So, and this year, definitely the stakes have been upped. Um, one of the things, uh, apart from uh, working with you again. Uh, now, last year you got up and did some stand-up. Yeah. Yeah. Are we seeing the second? Uh, did you Did you ever do any more sets, or are you? Um, was that a the once only so far? That was a one hit wonder. I've got um, these these give it a crack nights. I've got five minutes before the before the start of the comedy show, and five minutes at the after intermission that I can do whatever I want. So this year I'm doing a, a one minute intro. So that's my set this year, which I got a couple of jokes in, which will bring the place down. But then Steve Carfino, the ex Sydney King basketballer is doing stand up comedy for four minutes and he's pumped. I've never heard someone so excited. This is, this is actually, this is one of the things I'm very excited about too. As um, I, I remember Steve Carfino, he's a, um, NBL legend Magic man Yes um, I remember And this is Like he was I don't know I think you and I Are roughly similar ages When uh, When the NBL Was really big um, Steve Carthino Was one of the big players Like he was He was legend And I'm, I, I've actually got A couple of mates um, Who are uh, Coming along As soon as I said to them Hey I'm doing this gig And uh, Steve Carthino Is going to be doing They were like What? What? I said Look Buy tickets and I'll see if I can get him to say hi to you at some stage. <laughs> so um, hopefully I can swing that. Um, but yeah, he's uh, that's how did you meet Steve Carfino? Like, how did this happen? My brother worked with Steve at Fox Sports. Oh, your brother works and, at Fox Sports, yeah. Oh, cool. And they've, they've been friends for a long time, so I sort of met Steve through him and have known him for quite a while. And when I was, I was thinking about upping the stakes for Chris O'Brien. I thought I need a name. I need a somebody to do the comedy. So I, you know, I rang a few people. I spoke to Adam Goods, Jude Bolton, Simon Kadich, Ryan Fitzgerald, and they all said, "Nah, that's one of my biggest fears. There's no oh, way in hell I'd do that." Come on, boys, I pump rang, up! I'm, I, I'm looking at this list for next year. <laughs> We're going to get one of them, I reckon. I rang Carfino, and he said, "Oh." That's on my bucket list. Oh, really? <laughs> Excellent. Oh, I am so looking forward to this. Have you? Has he run any of the jokes past you? He rings me probably fortnightly saying, hey, I just saw this girl in a red car and driving past an orange pole. What, what do you think about this joke? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's, um, oh, it'll be interesting. I Hopefully... Um, his set goes well and uh, he gets the bug because that's how, that's exactly how stand-ups um, start. Yeah. is I, I remember myself, I, I it was a bucket list thing. I'm doing this once. 
It went well. Uh, I thought, oh, I might do it again. Yeah. It gets addictive very quickly. So who knows? We might in 12 months' time be talking about uh, comedy legend Steve Caffino <laughs> coming back to give it a crack where it all started. Yeah. No, he's he's doing backflips. He's so excited. Oh, that's going to be a great night. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, to give it a crack this year. So um, now let's plug it again because I think um, NBL fans, any ex-NBL fans, um, uh, ex-NBL fans, any current NBL fans, or even if you fell out of touch with it but you had that period in your youth where uh, the Steve Carfino period, as I call it, um, where you were way into it, this is your chance to come see uh, a legend uh, of the NBL do some uh, stand-up comedy for the first time. First Hopefully time. Hopefully we're seeing the birth of a comedy legend, the uh, the second story of Steve, Car- Steve Carfino. That'd be well, fantastic. He'll tell you the comedy legend's already been born. Just ask him. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like too. A com- There's something about sports people uh, that, that have that inner confidence of a guy like that. That uh, Yeah, this is going to be a fun night. I, I can yeah. really see it. So... Um, so, so if sorry, sorry, interrupt yeah, you. no, 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 go. If um, if Steve Carfino doesn't doesn't sell the ticket for you, there's a silent auction as well that has his daughter Bronte, is now about twenty one, and she is a Sydney Kings Harlequins dancer, and one of the silent auction items is to spend a night with the Harlequins dancers. Oh wow! So if you're not into Steve, then go and take it out of Bronte. Yeah, if you're a fan of if you're a fan of dancing, um, then uh, yeah, you come down, bid on the silent auction. It's going to be a great night, yeah. and all for a couldn't be a better course. Realistically, like that is um, the work they do over at uh, Chris O'Brien's Lifehouse is um, it's it's not it's not a place you ever want to have to be, um, but it is um, filled by some of the best people you'd never want to have to meet. And uh, and they do important work, and so um, yeah, very very. Even if you're not into comedy, not into Steve Caffino, not into dancing, come down anyway because uh, everyone should be into raising money for good causes. Well, there's if, if sorry, I've just got to keep plugging. Yeah, go um, nuts, go nuts. The silent auction has gone ballistic. So if you're not into those two, oh, um, okay. what else or, or you're not particularly a fan of Andrew Barnett. Oh, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Settle. <laughs> then, then you shouldn't be listening to this podcast, really. That's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's a dinner with Adam Goods and Jude Bolton. Oh, wow. At the Cut Restaurant in The Rocks. That's a good um, restaurant, too. That's a good restaurant, good steakhouse. Mm. Um, there's a Kelly Slater signed surfboard. There's the, there's the Sydney Kings dancers. Um, and there's going to a Pennant Hills AFL game with Lenny Hayes. Oh, wow. So Lenny was an old teammate of mine at Pennant Hills. Um, so you can go and watch a Pennant game, sit with him and chat about all things AFL. And the live auction is, I think I mentioned before, a mate of mine launched a children's book and give it a crack one. Yep. She's getting it published and she's auctioning off the first copy. Oh, wow. At this give it a crack. That's going to be fantastic. This is, this, yeah, this is going to be a great event. So tickets can be at? barnabyhoworth.com.au on the events page. Yep. So you buy them through the comedy store. Yep. Um, and, yeah, tickets just need to be bought online. Beautiful. Beautiful. That sounds good. Now, um, we're getting to the tail end of this. Thank you so much for coming and doing it. Uh, before we do, um, you've got a motivational speaking business to run. You've got a great um, blog and mailing list. Plug away, mate. Oh, uh, well... If, you, if you're keen to get in to give it a crack, same place, barnabyhoworth.com.au. Um, and it's if you're, if you're a corporate audience or a school or a sports club, 
and you're sick of the aim for the moon, if you miss your four marks of stars or the dig deep and you can be anyone message, then and you want something different about being proud of the person you are right now, then that's what my speech is all about, is taking the focus off the huge things that are overwhelming and just focus on what's on your plate right now, give it the best crack you can and be proud of yourself. Which I think is... I don't know. That's I don't, personally, that's a message that resonates with me because, um, yeah, everything I've ever had to to do in life is uh, is always when you realize when you break it down, it's the thousand steps in between uh, in between start and go that uh, that make up how you get there. So that um, is uh, yeah a great message. Now, there's one thing I want you to actually go through um, from your website, and it's your um, it's somewhat of your model, your motto, I should say, not model. Sorry, I'm. Uh, one coffee short this morning. I should have had a coffee before we started this. <laughs> but um, your motto on your website um, in the about section, you've got a great little analogy about um, when it starts to rain. Mm-hmm. You, can you just go through that? I think that's a, a, it's a beautiful way to look at life, um, especially uh, life um, when life throws adversity at you. Yeah, well, it, this is, again, aimed at those people who don't know if they have it in them to overcome adversity, just do their best. And it says rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. But there comes a time when you just have to get over it and go and play in the puddles. Which, is, yeah, it's a fantastic message. Um, and, you know, hopefully one day my, my kids might listen to this. And if they hear that message, um, it's not a literal message, guys. Um, no need to drudge mud through the house. Um, it's just, uh, <laughs> it's, but it is, it's a beautiful uh, way of looking at things. And I think it, um, for me, like getting to, getting to know you a bit over the last couple of years through Give It A Crack, um, and just, you know, and reading all the stuff you put out. Um, it, it, it really does sum up the way you the way you approach things. So I think that's a beautiful uh, beautiful little message and maybe a nice way to meet it, leave it there. So please, um, yeah, get along to give it a crack. Come down. If you heard the, um, if you do, if you're listening to this and this is the reason you decide, come down, say good day to me and uh, say good day to Barnaby. Um, we'll both be there. We're happy to chat to whoever. I'm speaking on your behalf here, yeah. Barnaby. But, no, um, come on down. Come on down, uh, say g'day, and uh, yeah, hopefully, and if you've ever thought of trying comedy, hopefully uh, next year you might be up on stage for Give It A Crack. Could be the next Steve Carfino. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Comedy legend Steve Carfino. <laughs> All right, Barnaby Howard, thank you very much, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. No, right,